May I speak in the name of the God who lives, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I am just old enough to remember the hat wars which divided the Church of Ireland in certainly the north of the country in two during the 1970s. Um, It seems a vanished world now, but many parishes were split very bitterly over the issue of whether or not women had to wear hats to church. Partially, of course, based on a particular understanding of the teaching of St. Paul. Was St. Paul's instruction that women should not worship bareheaded simply a matter for his particular cultural setting or for all time? And it was quite bitter in the parish where I used to worship as a child. I think because there was a um, quite a division, which we'd now call by class. Some women wanted to come to church more or less as they were, without having to buy expensive clothes that they'd only be able to wear on a Sunday and probably, frankly, couldn't really afford. For these women, the practice of wearing rather expensive hats in church that changed with the seasons was at best a luxury and at worst a sort of sign that they would never truly belong to our community. And of course, for some of the women who wore hats, the hat meant something quite different. They always came to church wearing a hat with gloves and a matching handbag and a sort of special, rather grand coat and shoes that they kept for church. And for them, being dressed like this coming to church partially meant honouring God and bringing the best of who they were to God on a Sunday. And behind it, perhaps, was a particular vision of what it meant to be a woman in the Irish society of the time. Almost without exception, these were women who had a very particular understanding of how a household ought to be run. That you should make the bed every morning and that you should never leave Um, dirty dishes in the sink overnight and um, the milk could never be left on the step in the morning after 10 o'clock and so on and so forth. And actually there was a lot of wisdom in that particular understanding for many of these women were able to make their homes a real place of warmth and beauty and shelter, a sort of nest against the world. But very few of them were economically active outside the home. Very few of them worked. That was a luxury 
that other women in the parish couldn't afford, on the whole people with less money, perhaps living on their own, simply didn't have the resources to allow themselves to spend the week looking after the home, but they had to go out to work. And they also had fewer resources to spend in expensive clothes. So a rather bitter division arose. For the women who didn't wear hats, there was a sense that they were being excluded from full membership of the church. And they felt as if they were being told they should be slightly ashamed of coming to church without wearing a hat. Certainly, most of them sat around the edge of the church, never in the centre of the nave. They felt sometimes shame. And because of that shame, which was a false shame, often very angry. Those who wore hats seemed to think that their particular way of being dressed offered honour to God and the church community, showed respect, showed a particular careful obedience to the scriptures, and behind it a whole vision of what they were called to be as women. And so we had one group of women looking at the others and saying, you're causing me shame, and another group of women looking at others and saying, you're taking away from me who I truly am. In the midst of it all, a male rector anxiously wringing his hands, how on earth am I going to get through this? It all came to a head when I was confirmed, rather young, aged 11. And it being a very large parish, there were over 40 of us confirmed at once. Um, half of us boys, half of us girls. And one half of the girls wore, you know, rather smart, everyday clothes to be confirmed in. And the other half followed a particular Irish tradition and were all dressed ineffectively as brides, wearing beautiful long white dresses, white veils, and carrying a posy of white flowers. Um, it perhaps you might expect those were the children of the mothers who wore hats. Um, and so it became, it was like enacted before the bishop who, you know, sort of wrung his hands before the service, said, I wish everyone was wearing the same thing, don't you? Um, uh, some of us boys had ties on, some didn't. Further controversy. Um, now, neither of these groups of women were hypocrites, unlike those that our Saviour is referring to in the Scriptures today. They weren't hypocrites because they weren't holding themselves to a different standard than their expectations of other people. A hypocrite would say, well, you have to wear a hat 
but I don't because I'm me. Um, Someone who isn't a hypocrite would say, yes, all of us need to be following the same moral teaching. Well, the way the rector led through this was through developing a shared understanding of difference in the parish. That some people had a particular vocation to serve God, primarily working in their homes and also the wider community. And for them, it could be right to wear the traditional clothes that women might wear to church. And that was something to be celebrated. And for the other group of women who largely were economically active outside the home, helping them understand that their vocation of such service and earning money was also an authentic way of following Christ. That there could be both groups of people apparently so bitterly divided could honour each other and so neither group needed to see the other as hypocritical or of demanding a particular standard. Imagine the shock when the wife of the rector arrived not wearing a hat the following Sunday. Um, And so it feels very quaint now, Um, but looking at it from a distance, we can see that what was being negotiated was the changing role of women in Irish culture, perhaps rather later than happened in England, and helping women find a new way of being themselves within the Christian community. Now, to some people then and now, to be a Christian is essentially to be a hypocrite. Someone putting burdens on other people that they're not willing to accept themselves and living in falsity. This is by far the greatest charge made against Christians by unbelievers, both in Ireland in the 1960s and 70s, in the first century when people were starting to follow our Saviour, and now. Many people regard the whole exercise in religion as a complex and sophisticated game of hypocrisy. I'd have to say, to a certain extent, they're correct. They're correct in as much as if we hold ourselves to high standards of morality, of care for others, of truth, being sinful human beings, we will inevitably and frequently fail. We are all, to a certain extent, perhaps guilty of one hypocrisy or another. Um, So how do we live with this complex moral situation where others look at us and see our falsity and yet we are trapped between 
what we want to do and what we're able to do. I think firstly it helps, as our Saviour brings out today, that being a hypocrite, being false, is to a certain extent something that not merely religious people, but all men and women share. Uh, A much beloved American um, clergyman who was a leader of the um, opposition to Vietnam in the States uh, was challenged by a senior American leader at the door of his church in New York saying, isn't this all an exercise in total hypocrisy? And William Sloan Coffin said, yes, but there's always room for one more like you. Uh, That sort of bitterness, I don't think, is really a good way of responding. Being aware of our falsity, how we judge other people differently from how we judge ourselves, of how we hold ourselves to a particular standard and yet know that frequently we fail... This is the experience that often true reading of the Scriptures brings to us. When somebody asked Jesus a complicated question about adultery and remarriage, he says, well, everyone who lusts after anyone else is committing adultery. So let's just get that clear. He's saying, in other words, all of us are frail. All of us to one extent or another, are hypocrites. The way forward, I feel, is to follow the teaching directly in our gospel reading. Jesus directs us in two ways. Firstly, to judge other people by what they do. Do you see someone caring for others, struggling to do what is right? Do you see their lives bearing fruit? That's a sign that they are drawing imperfectly close to God. And then look within at our own hearts. It's only our own hearts that we're responsible for before God and acknowledge honestly to God what is in our hearts, our passing irritation and anger, our deep hurt, our desire to see others do things that we can't be bothered to do ourselves, and to be honest. To escape from hypocrisy with God's grace requires these two actions to celebrate what is good and life-giving and honour it wherever it's found with people who are wearing hats and people who are not wearing hats in church and then to look inwards to our own being and acknowledge our brokenness and our need of God. The closer we draw to Christ 
the more we will be freed from play-acting and pretense, the easier it will be to admit who we truly are and that in all that muddle and mess and hypocrisy, we are still loved by God. So, dear brothers and sisters, can we follow the way of Christ to open our hearts to God's searching judgment and to celebrate what is life-giving wherever we find it, even in the oddest places and the strangest people?